0: For episode number 101 of Monster Kid Radio, your podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I thought we'd kick off this episode of Monster Kid Radio with a song from the Beeritz Boys. This appears on their album, Enjoy the Hip Slick, Ultra Violent, and Super Sexy Surf Sound of the Beeritz Boys. The name of the song is... El Paso. The Beers boys, they're based out of Europe, but the name of the song is El Paso, which is a city in Texas, which is also the same state of birth of the movie we're talking about this week on Monster Kid Radio. I'm talking about the movie The Giant Gila Monster from 1959, directed by Roy Kellogg, and I'm not talking about the movie by myself. No, actually, The Giant Gila Monster was suggested by recurring Monster Kid Radio guest and my dear friend. Scott Morris. He loves this movie. He wanted to talk about it on Monster Kid Radio. Who am I to say no? Especially when it comes to a movie that has quickly become one of my favorite. Probably in my top 20, top 25 of classic monster movies. I know, I know, it's a low-budget movie. It shows, it seems, but I love this film for a bunch of different reasons, and we're going to find out what those reasons are and what Scott's reasons are when we have him on the show here in a little bit. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and go through the business here at Monster Kid Radio. You can find out everything that you need to know about Monster Kid Radio over at our website, which is at monsterkidradio.net. From there, you can find links to everything we've got, the Flickr album, the stream Sixty-five channel our youtube page our facebook group you can also look up our facebook page on facebook and you can find our contact information we're going to go over that information at the end of this episode so if you have any feedback any comments about anything that we talk about in this episode of monster kid radio or any previous episode well stay tuned to the end and you'll find out how you can get that information to me and we'll maybe include that in an upcoming episode of monster kid radio I want to tell you about a few other things that have happened recently. I'm very excited about this. I got to appear on an episode of The Creepy Castle. This is a weekly podcast hosted by The Creepy Castle. Now, if you are not familiar with The Creepy Castle, head over to creepycastle.com. And that's creepy with a K, castle with a K, creepycastle.com. Or follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. They are an online streaming Website. There is nothing but horror-hosted programming happening at this website 24-7, complete with a chat room. So if you like what you're watching, you can chat with other viewers. It's a good time. It's something that I spent a lot of time at. That website's great, and it was awesome to appear on their podcast. This past weekend, it was a live recording, and now it's available for your podcast listening pleasure. Look up Creepy Castle Radio over at blogtalkradio.com or just go to blogtalkradio.com slash Dale. K. that's D-A-L-E-K-A-Y, he's one of the hosts of the show, and you can subscribe to the show there and check it out. Big thanks to DLK and Halloween Jack for having me on the show this past weekend, it was a real treat, and I've put out an open invitation to both of those guys to appear on future episodes of Monster Kid Radio down the line, so maybe that'll happen later this year. Also, not too long ago, over at Dread Media, Desmond Reddick, the host of that show, finally put out the recording that he took at the World Horror Convention, in which he i and scott glancy you know the creator of the delta green role-playing game appeared on the podcasting panel at the world horror convention the panel was moderated by author jeff strand that was a fun recording as well so you can check that out head over to dreadmedia.com to check that out or again follow the link in the show notes i'm eager to dive into the giant gila monster like i said i had a really good time watching this movie and chatting it up with scott so we're gonna get to that right after this
1: It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Daikaiju Attack from award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Now available in all ebook formats on Amazon, Smashwords, drive Fiction, and other quality outlets. Find more info at DaikaijuAttack.com. SDSullivan.com and the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today.
0: This is Steamroller Smith, and I'd like to welcome you back to KILT Radio. Kilt listeners, we are in for a treat. We are joined by Scott Morris, and if you put your hands together, I bet you could convince him to sing a few verses from his song, The Mushroom Song. Take it away, Scott.
1: There was a mushroom, a sad little mushroom. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord said laugh, children laugh, the Lord, the Lord Life. said laugh. Children, children laugh, laugh, the Lord said Lord laugh, said light. children what laugh, the doing? Lord said laugh, oh, I'm sorry. What, what, what are <laughs> we doing? This isn't the Kilt Podcast.
0: No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, welcome to Monster Kid Radio. Welcome back. It's been a while. Now everyone knows how bad I can sing. <laughs> well, you've sung before on your own
1: podcast. Yes, I have over at uh, Disney Indiana at DisneyIndiana.com. I do sing every once in a while, and I don't claim to be a good singer.
0: That's good. <laughs> so, where's all this music from? Yeah, well, yeah, we wanted to get to that, but I was bringing up Disney Indiana to kind of ask you how things have been going. It's been a while since we've had you on the show proper for like, a, a movie review.
1: Well, we've had you on a Disney Indiana for a movie review since last I've been on Monster Kid Radio. You and Casey, my co-hosts from 1951 Down Place, just joined us to cover Dr. Sin, alias the Scarecrow from Disney.
0: It's part of a crossover event with our other podcast, 1951 Downplace, which you can find at 1951Downplace.com where we covered uh, the Hammer version of the same
1: story, Night Creatures, or as it's known in the UK, Captain Clegg.
0: And that's going to be going out later this week. That episode's edited by Casey, so I'm excited to see how that turns out. But we're not here to talk about Downplace or Disney or Night Creatures or Dr. Sin, although that might be kind of fun. We're actually going to talk about the giant Gila monster, which is also going to be quite fun. Oh, you have no idea. I'm excited about this one from 1959.
1: engine's still warm. Say, did you see the skid marks out here? They go at a direct right angle to the direction of travel. No digs in the macadam either.
0: Somebody was hurt. There's blood all over this thing.
1: What is this black menace that kills everything it sees and hears? No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing.
0: If you're young people in love... driving a lonely road. You're as good as dead. There's been a lot of livestock missing lately. That doesn't make headlines, but now it's people.
1: Never in the history of the United States, a monster of such size and power and horrifying
0: hatred of man... You know, there are a lot of movies out there. A lot of well, there are a lot of movies out there. Period. No. There are, <laughs> Thank you. There, good night, everyone. <laughs> that, that's right. That's that's what you get. There are a lot of movies out there from this era that I have seen bits and pieces of over the years. That I've seen maybe the first half hour here, forty-five minute chunk there, that sort of thing. There are a lot of these films that I've not sat down for one dedicated just watching to watch movies. And this is one of those films that I had not seen from start to finish uninterrupted. So it was a real treat for me to sit down with this film. And this is actually one of your favorites, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. I saw this movie when I was uh, young. It was a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon showing on my local television station. I used to get up almost every morning and watch old episodes of Star Trek on Sunday morning. And then after it, they usually would have like radiation theater or monster theater where where I saw Godzilla and I saw a bunch of other films, but the giant Gila monster was shown one Saturday afternoon and I was probably in middle school age when I saw it for the first time.
0: That just sounds awesome. An awesome Saturday event, I guess, of TV watching. That just sounds cool. Yep. No, it's usually Sunday morning. We would get up
1: and uh, my mom would be making breakfast and we'd turn the TV on and uh, watch, it always had the classic Star Trek, and then it's usually followed by a monster movie or a horror movie, Radiation Theater, something like that.
0: Was it actually called Radiation Theater? That was the name of the show?
1: I don't remember if they called it that. It had many different titles, you know, the Sunday morning movie, Radiation Theater, I think it was sometimes it was called. You know, whatever WTTV Channel 4 had to play at that time, they would throw on there. Yeah, you never knew what kind of movie they were going to show.
0: I think it's great that we live in the day and age of DVDs and streaming and Blu-ray. And I can go online and watch something on YouTube. It's all on demand. It's right there. But I think the closest we get to something like that for a new experience now is like when you put on like MeTV and you watch like Sven Grulli hosting a show and you, the show's followed up by another retro show of some sort. There's something about that package experience that I kind of miss that I wish I could get now does that make sense no unfortunately you can't
1: get that now because those time slots are now filled with infomercials
0: i cannot tell you how many times i will just randomly over the weekend switch to my local public access tv channels here in town and we've got a couple hoping to maybe stumble across some sort of horror hosted show we don't have a local horror host active right now in the portland area but every once in a while we'll get some public access programming from like seattle and i think there's a guy up there but i Don't know if he's still current or if he's still doing it. So, I mean, I get a little bit of that, but you're right. It's all infomercials and a news program on loop until 5 o'clock the next morning, which is too bad.
1: Yeah, Unfortunately, here in Indiana, we don't have a horror host active either. So we have to go online to
0: see any kind
1: of horror host or watch our old DVDs.
0: You know, a great place to see some horror hosts is over at Creepy Castle. That's Creepy with a K, Castle with a K. I was actually on their podcast last weekend. There will be a link in the show notes, to so go check that out. But, yeah, you're right. You have to go online to find horror hosts. So you and I both have a Roku, so we yes. can watch horror hosts program on that. And this movie is in the public domain, so I'm sure it's been covered by almost every horror host out there. Frequent guests, Dr. Gay Green, a.k.a. Larry Underwood. Told me that the giant Gila monster is one of the movies that he's edited the most for his own program. He's chopped it down to an hour long show at one point. He even did it as a half hour show once. Well, I know that uh, I've seen this film uh, hosted
1: on MST3K. It was uh, episode number 402 in season four. They covered the giant Gila monster as well. So it was, you know, I saw it when I was really young. And then if you call the MST3K folks, horror hosts sort of they
0: covered it as well i think it definitely counts i think what they do is a a type of hosting uh elvira covered it spengruly covered it i mean it's all over the place it's easy to get your hands on you actually watched the movie on archive.org didn't you
1: that's correct yeah through my roku uh, i didn't have it in any of my public domain sets of dvds so i wasn't sure where to get it but i knew it was on archive.org so that's where i watched it
0: I think that's how I watched it as well, but I'm sure I have it at least twice (laughs) in my Mill Creek box sets here. So, again, real easy to get your hands on and something that I think you should get your hands on. I really enjoyed watching it. This was a treat.
1: I wanted to make sure I watched it uh, for this uh, time without the help of the MST3K folks. I do have their version of it on DVD, but that's
0: why I went to Archive. Now, the movie itself was directed by Ray Kellogg, and he also did the – the Killer, Killer Shrews. Shrews about, right. Mm-hmm. These were both shot back-to-back. And you were telling me a little bit about the background of these movies, at least went into the the making of the film.
1: From what I've read, uh, one of the producers, or maybe it was uh, Ray Kellogg himself, owned some drive-in theaters in Texas. And so he was looking for some product for his drive-ins to either pair up with Hollywood movies or pair together as a uh, double feature to show at the drive-in.
0: Pair up with Hollywood movies. That's so cute. <laughs> believe it was gordon mcclendon who was one of the driving forces behind that the executive producer of the films and yeah they were shot back to back i read or at least heard a little bit with don sullivan who's our lead actor he plays chase in the movie said the movie was written over the course of two days so it really was a matter of economy let's make these movies and put them out as product versus any kind of pretense of high art or anything like that (laughs) Uh, so yeah we we have don sullivan So, yeah, we have Don Sullivan. He's our lead actor. He's Chase. Now, he wasn't just an actor. He actually contributed a little bit to that wonderful soundtrack. I wonder if we need to pay him some royalties for what Scott did at the beginning of the show.
1: Hopefully that falls under the public domain as well. (laughs) (laughs) He actually wrote three songs uh, for the film, and you hear uh, all three songs during the film. The song that I was uh, butchering is either called The Mushroom Song or Laugh Children Laugh. He also performed a song called My Baby She Rocks. Uh, Several times during this movie, you'll see Chase either working in the garage or doing other things and just kind of singing the song to himself. And then uh, he also performs a song called I Ain't Made That Way, which is kind of a more swinging, rocking song that, unfortunately, you only hear about half of it in the film.
0: And it doesn't even really sound like him. It sounds very... It sounds very produced.
1: That makes sense, because in the course of the film, he becomes discovered by a local DJ and invited to come down to sing songs to be recorded. And I Ain't Made That Way was actually, in the course of the movie, done with a studio band backing him up. And so it was the most produced. The other two songs, you mostly see Don Sullivan or Chase just singing the song by himself.
0: I don't know much about his background Don Sullivan, that is. I mean, I know he was an actor. I know he was in Teenage Zombies. I know he was in Monster of Piedras Blancas, one of those movies I really like. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he's got like a musical background, you know?
1: The only other film I've ever seen him in is The Rebel Set, and that is because of uh, that film was also shown on MST3K.
0: Oh, was it really? Yeah.
1: That's the only other one that I've seen him in. But yeah, he's got 10 or 11 credits. Uh, Mostly he kind of uh, stopped um, working in the entertainment industry after uh, 1962, but he did make a comeback that we'll talk about in a little bit.
0: Well, you know, we've got Don Sullivan. He's not the only person in the movie, obviously. He's got a cast around him. I suppose if there was another lead character, we'd probably be talking about the sheriff. Oh,
1: Fred Graham. Definitely I would call him the uh, the co-star of this film chase is obviously the star don sullivan but fred graham who plays sheriff jeff is on the screen at least as much as chase is
0: i liked him a lot now some of the reviews online aren't overly complimentary of what fred graham brought to the movie but i found him kind of endearing He's a well-known actor. He's
1: worked with John Wayne on several occasions. Mm -hmm. He's got over 250 movie credits to his name.
0: A lot of Westerns. I'm looking at his IMDb listing right now. Looks like he did A Wonderful World of Color for Disney at one point. So he's, I suppose, our Hollywood actor for this film. Yeah,
1: for Disney, he was kind of a a background character on uh, Texas John Slaughter. Have you ever seen that? It's been ages, but yeah, I have seen it. I don't know that much about it. I, I think he is really good in The Giant Gila Monster. I really liked his performance.
0: Oh, he's great in this movie. I like that he's not just the sheriff. He's playing a couple of different roles as the sheriff. He's in charge of the safety of the town. He's the, the police officer. He's also this father figure for Chase, which I really like the relationship between the two.
1: Which is really odd for a film of this time in this style. Yeah, This is almost a direct opposite of films like The Blob, where you've got a main teenage character that's wrapped up in this big monster type whatever attacking the town. But in this case, he's working with the sheriff. The sheriff believes him instead of films like The Blob, where the the kids are just kind of, you're just off doing whatever. We don't have to listen to you. You don't know what you're talking about which was refreshing for a film like this.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it really is this mix of hot rod teenage movie, which is something that was big at the time, you know, the monster movies. A lot of these movies from this era that are about the teenage hot rodders, that sort of thing. And I think it might have even been Corman who said something along the lines of, get the parents out of the picture. Give the parents a reason to not be in the story. Make it about the kids. And a lot of this is about the kids. But both Don Sullivan and Fred Graham do a little bit more than that you've got the father figure who is in the movie you've got chase who is your hot rodder but he's also kind of sort of taking on the role of patriarch in his family as well as with his group of friends you've got some really interesting things happening here that just don't seem to fit with the common hot rod movie of the time i think the word you just used was refreshing and i liked that a lot about this movie you don't have to have the teenagers and be the rebels all the time. They can work with the cops. They can work with the authority figure. You can have the authority figure not just hassling the kids because they're kids. Now, there is an authority figure hassling the kids. The mayor does not like Chase at all. You mean Mr. Wheeler? Yeah.
1: I never got the impression that he was the mayor. I thought he ran like an oil field or something. Yeah. You know, it's kind of unspoken. Yeah. He's like the big wig in town. He's, he's obviously got the money. Early on in the film, uh, Mr. Wheeler's son is missing, and he kind of blames Chase and his gang for putting wild ideas into his son's head. And he basically threatens Sheriff Jeff, you will find my son or I'll have your badge. But I never got the impression that he was the mayor. But he is more typical of what you see in yeah. these 50s monster movies from a parent's perspective or for yeah. an authority figure. Exactly. And I'm glad he's
0: not used a whole lot in this film. No, not at all. I mean, he's like this weird kind of background foil to the kids. And to the sheriff. Oh, and especially at the end. I mean, he's very much in the sheriff's face. And, you know, we were talking about how Chase isn't just this rebellious kid. There are some things that Chase does that is typical teenage hot rodder behavior when he's taking the tires off of one car for another and that sort of thing, you know, and again, though, it's still pretty innocent. It's nothing really bad. Well, Chase, another thing that is unusual
1: about him in these movies is, you know, Chase has a job. Chase is responsible. He's shown that there's a scene where he witnesses an accident and instead of just leaving the scene or not, you know, let someone else take care of it. He helps the DJ and tows his car back in and also takes care of the man himself. Something that is also unusual for teenagers showing some responsibility.
0: He's very responsible. He's he's very entrepreneurial. He's always listening in for when the cops get a call. So he knows where to take the record so he can go get the job and make a few bucks here and there. He's taking care of his, his family. Uh, He's got a little sister who has, Do they ever say it's polio? I mean, I think it's kind of a given, right? I always assumed it's polio because
1: she has problems walking, and at one point in the film, Chase picks up her braces so she's able to walk, which he's paid for.
0: A teenager paid for these, which again speaks to the kind of character Chase is. I mean, he says he's kind of straight laced, but he's still a hot rodder at heart, and he's still souping up cars and. I mean, he's just a fascinating character. I love the fact that
1: when early on in the film, the sheriff shows up at the garage where Chase is working, shows off his new patrol car. And the
0: first thing Chase wants to do is get under the hood and soup it up. Yeah. And he wants to soup it up for the cop, not necessarily because he wants to do it. He wants to genuinely give his friend, the sheriff, something that he, you know, a gift. He wants to do something for him. Yeah. Because
1: the police car was a former state police car that, you know, gets handed down to the smaller towns and so chase is offering to the sheriff hey give it to me for an afternoon i'll make sure it's running as best as it can run and everything exactly some people might think well he's just going to do that to break the car down so he is his he and his hot rod buddies won't get in trouble but that's
0: not it at all yeah i never got that impression at all it was a genuine i want to do this for you this is something that i can give my friend my fill-in father figure let's do it now as much as Chase sings in the movie, there is an honesty goodness singer in the cast, and that's Shug Fisher. And he plays the old man, is it old man Harris, who we first meet in the film when he comes into yes. <laughs> the soda shop and asks the uh, the soda jerk for a snort of that there soda
1: pop. A lot of people mistake him for, if you ever watch the Andy Griffith show and Ernest T. Krebs A lot of people think it's the same actor, but it's not.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, I I don't think it is. I read read a couple articles
1: where someone saying before he was on the Andy Griffith show, he was in the Giant Gila Monster, but no, it's two different actors.
0: No, he uh, appeared on the Beverly Hillbillies.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, Fisher He did a lot of character work. Actually, where I know him from is the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again. Oh, really? Is he in that?
0: Yeah, he's a bartender in that. Nice. (laughs) Well, you know, he's this old town drunk but again there's still a heart to him there's some charm to him he gets along with the kids the kids really like his car chase really likes his oh car. yeah chase wants to buy his car he's he's offering
1: yeah. i love the the scene where it's a an old ford coupe that chase wants to buy basically to turn it into a hot rod and he's offering him like a hundred dollars <laughs> Uh, old man Harris basically says, I paid $625 a year ago. I was offered $50 and now you're offering me a hundred. So when it gets back up to six I'll sell.
0: That was a, that was, you know, again, there's a charm to this. I don't care if the script was written in two days or not. I loved it. I love the script. And that exchange of dialogue between these two characters is indicative of the charm of this movie and the comedy. There's a, there's a level of comedy to a lot of this.
1: Oh, definitely so. And Old Man Harris is a drunk. They do show him uh, drinking later on in the film, but I demand a soberty test. A sobriety test. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's the, you know, going back to Andy Griffith, he's like the the drunk in there where he turns himself in and knows his way back to the uh, to the jail and locks himself up. So,
0: yeah. Now, this wouldn't be a Hot Rod Teenage you know kind of movie if the Hot Rod Teenager did, lead didn't have a girlfriend. That's Lisa Simone. French girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. French exchange student. I don't know much about her. I know she was in Missile to the Moon. Again, uh, I was listening to an interview with Don Sullivan, and he said that originally it was supposed to be a German exchange student that he really liked. But at the last minute, they switched to the French character, the French Student and Lisa Simone came in for the role, and he didn't feel like he had nearly as much chemistry with her.
1: Well, the reason she was brought in, she was Miss France for one year.
0: How Miss France ended up in a low-budget 50s hot rod monster movie, I have no idea. And does France know this happened? I don't know. They might have surrendered.
1: (laughs) She's okay. She's serviceable. I mean, she's not great. I, I did kind of like the interplay between her and Chase's sister. That was cool.
0: Yeah. Again, it it kind of speaks to this weird family dynamic, this family unit. And when I say weird, it's different for this type of movie. Certainly we had non-traditional family structures, especially after you know World War II and Korea and all this other stuff. We had different family structures happening. So it was interesting to see that demonstrated in this movie. We've got Chase as this kind of fill father figure, and his girlfriend. Kind of sort of acting either like a big sister or maybe in some regards kind of like a secondary mother to the little sister.
1: Well, the mother is definitely there. I mean, another unusual thing for this film, Chase is a hot rider, but he's not rebelling against his family. He's a very strong part of that family, which is something else that's unusual. Usually a character like this would be rebelling against the family, would be rebelling against authority and just going off and, and car racing and doing whatever he wants to do. This is so atypical of that for this time frame.
0: He's got responsibilities, and it doesn't seem to mind. It bother him. No, he seems very happy and content. Which, again, you're saying it's, atyp- it's very atypical, and it's a, a refreshing set of relationships that you get in this movie, especially towards the end when it's the sheriff chase going up against the Gila monster. It's very cool is there anybody else on the cast that we want to mention i I think we've kind of hit most of the leading characters here outside of the monster i
1: was gonna say there's one other character that we need to talk about the the gila monster in the room the elephant in the room the gila monster
0: his herself
1: (laughs) from what i understand it wasn't actually a gila monster have you heard this i'm not up on my um lizard uh, anatomy or <laughs> genus of lizards so what what actually was the gila monster
0: well over the past weekend i took a correspondence course and got a degree in lizardology did you take it from don sullivan i, I did yeah, i minored in
1: rock and roll a reference to something else we'll talk about in a little bit Yeah, that's well,
0: true it's true at least the internet movie database tells us that the gila monster was a mexican beaded lizard in this film I don't know the difference outside of they're both big lizards. I had no idea what it was because I, I don't really have uh, much
1: interaction with them. So it could have been a garden lizard. I, I, don't, I don't know.
0: <laughs> the Gila monster itself, it's an actual Gila monster. We're not talking models. We're not talking a man in suit. We're not talking stop motion. Every time the Gila monster appears on screen, it's a lizard a rail model railroad set. Yes, interacting <laughs> with miniature. Yeah,
1: most of the time I think it's passable because they don't have him interacting with what we would consider normal things. You see him going through brush or you going through woods or something that I can buy. It's when he's interacting with a train or a car or a building where the illusion really falls apart a little bit.
0: You can actually see what the train scenes like the string pulling the train down the track. So you can see that a little bit. So it does kind of, like you said, the illusion gets broken. Yeah, but I, I felt bad. For,
1: I felt bad for Ray Kellogg's son because he Ray wrecked his model train. <laughs> but it's passable. It's pass. I, I thought the, the train scene to me was the the weakest. Later on, you see the Gila monster attacking a barn. I thought that was a little more well done because they were able to duplicate the cars in miniature that they actually see and i thought that was pulled off a little better
0: i did think that was pulled off but i felt bad for the monster because it was very clear (laughs) the the lizard is trying to break through the wall of the barn and it's very clear to me that they set up this model barn wall i suppose and they're just pushing the lizard from behind trying to make it poke its head through the balsa wood of the model yeah it's it's, pretty obvious i feel bad for it like that's
1: if you've never seen it think of uh, jack nicholson going through the the door in the shining it's the same thing
0: (laughs) here's gila (laughs) but yeah for the most part it turned out okay it doesn't break the movie too badly and it is you know it's kind of a cheesy movie at points so even if it does break the movie it still fits Oh, I
1: didn't have any problem with it. There was a unique charm to it in especially a couple of the scenes going through uh, the woods or knocking a car off the road or, you know, where it would flash back and forth. There's a hitchhiker and then you see the Gila monster and then the the reaction shot. I thought it was for the money that was probably spent on this film and when it was made. It was done well. It wasn't outstanding. It's not going to win any Academy Awards for special effects, but it was fun. $138,000 $138,000 was its estimated budget in 59. I wonder what that would be in today's money.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Somebody do the math, <laughs> not us. <laughs> so it's not a very complex story. It's a small town in Texas. I could say that all of a sudden a giant Gila monster just kind
1: of shows up and starts to terrorize, you know, first taking out, there's reports of livestock being taken out. And then he kind of evolves into taking out some
0: people for lunch. It begins with him taking out a couple of people to kick things off, which is what's got Mr. Wheeler all upset. Yes, Mr. Wheeler's son and his
1: girlfriend are out parking, basically, and the Gila monster knocks their car down a gulch. The couple are, they disappear and no one knows where they are.
0: And that's really the story as far as the sheriff is concerned. He's trying to find the missing teenagers. He gets Chase involved because Chase is not just a hot rodder in town, but apparently the one every all the kids look up to. The sheriff makes the point that, you know, he's by himself. There's no
1: deputies. And he's got like 10,000 square acres or, some, you know, some outlandishly large area that he has to patrol. So he's basically looking for more eyes to help search for the kids and so he mm-hmm. enlists chase and uh, his friends to look for their friends
0: which again i thought was a nice touch that the sheriff could actually rely on the kids to help out and it wasn't just the kids saying oh no way man we're not down with it you know it was nice it was a cool yeah the kids wanted to help yeah i mean not well, only was friends are missing you know
1: i got the impression honestly if it had been tourists from out of town that
0: were lost the kids would have still helped i agree it was that it's that level of Responsibility, especially in the case of Chase. I mean, Chase has just got everything going on here. He's a responsible kid. He gets along with the cops. He's a buddy musician. He takes care of his little sister who's got polio. And he's a great car mechanic and builds some really cool rat rods. Ah, uh, yeah. Now, when I was watching this movie and knowing you, Scott, <laughs> the minute the car starts showing up on screen, I'm like, okay, I know what the hook for this movie is for Scott because you love these old cars.
1: I really love the rat rods. They're uh, custom Model Ts and uh, old Fords that the the kids have converted over into these uh, hot rod cars. They're nothing, you know, nothing that Detroit ever produced, but they're really cool. <laughs> <laughs> they never came off the line. They never came off the line, and I like the fact that uh, you know Chase. Is shown several times whatever money he earns is all going to the family. It's all going to help his little sister to the detriment of his car because he doesn't have – at one point he mentions how his tires are pretty bad. And uh, he also gets hassled a little bit by the sheriff because uh, one of his headlights is out.
0: I'm running barefoot, man, he says at one point because the tires are balding. Well, and the sheriff even kind of colludes with him a little bit. Well, I don't suppose they'd miss that headlamp over there. There's a car that has been wrecked by the
1: Gila monster and Chase and the sheriff are out there. And the, that's when the sheriff hassles him for his headlight. And he's like, they're looking at the wrecked car. And he says, I don't think the insurance company is going to miss one headlight.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So Chase takes it off, puts it on his car.
0: Well, later on, he takes the tires, too, yeah, which so that, yeah. does upset the mayor character. You know, that's thievery. You go over there and you arrest Chase right now. It's a shame. Chase is a good kid. He's just trying to do what he does. You're right. He doesn't really dump the money into the car, which again is something that you'd see. You'd see that in movies up through the 70s at least, You know, where you've got these young kids and they're working and all they want to do is soup up their car, and not Chase. He's taking care of his family. He's taking care of business. He's taking a correspondence course.
1: What his car is is basically a labor of love and what he's able to put together and piece together from parts that he's found there at the Service station he works at, or his knowledge of how to soup up the
0: engine. Now, which car was his? Was his a Model T type?
1: They're all rat rods to me. I don't. I don't know if I could tell which car was. You know what exactly it was to begin with. I actually like. There's a buddy of his that uh, car shows up. It's the longer car that has the engine exposed. As <laughs> best yeah. I can describe, I like his buddy's car just a
0: little better than his. Well, we won't tell Chase. <laughs> But you know what? I don't think Chase would mind. (laughs) I think (laughs) Chase would say, yeah, you're probably right. I have the feeling that Chase probably worked on all of them. Yeah, which I think is probably where Chase gets most of his enjoyment when it comes to the cars anyways. It's cool to make him souped up and fast and have him going, but it's even more fun to get dirty and and, and work on him a little bit. That's probably his idea of a good time. I mean, he's singing while he's doing it at one point when he comes across the crashed car of Steamroller Smith, the DJ. From KLIT. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yes. Now, that was played by Ken Cox. Who was an actual DJ. For Gordon McClendon. Yep. Uh, he appeared in a couple of different movies. Uh, this one was his first film. I'm not familiar with My Dog Buddy, but I have seen Beyond the Time Barrier, and I didn't really recognize him when I saw him in The G- Giant Eel Monster, but I guess I'll just have to go back and watch Beyond the Time Barrier again. Bummer.
1: So w- what did you think of the the humor of uh, his character, basically the, the drunk humor that they showed.
0: You know, it's pretty obvious, and I think this is the case with some of the minor characters in this film. They're not all accomplished actors. Acting is not their first profession. And I felt like Ken Cox, it was pretty obvious that he wasn't an actor first. But I didn't really have a problem with it. I mean, I, I liked Shug's Fisher's, Yeah, you know, I need a sobriety test better.
1: I really like the fact that when um, Chase has the car hooked up to the tow truck and <laughs> the front end lift off the ground, and <laughs> the DJ is in, right at this point, he's in the tow truck. Well, he gets out, staggers back into his own car, gets in, but it's still hooked up to the tow truck, and starts it up, <laughs> and he tells Chase to get out of the way. He wants to pass. I can't pass. Move out of the way, lady. Yeah, that was and cool. and then of course the truck's not the car's not going to go anywhere because it's hooked up and then he finally just kind of passes out in the seat
0: yeah no i did like that i did like that when smith wants to leave even though he's clearly drunk chase doesn't get all high horse and preachy about it well mystery you really shouldn't you're an adult i'm going to respect you you do what you want to do i don't think you should be doing it go ahead and get in your car buddy well, he also knows in the back of his mind that he ain't going anywhere. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he doesn't force the issue. And again, it's a nice moment. I think Don Sullivan is so underrated as an actor based on this movie alone. And I did like, like you said, the, the humor, trying to drive off while he's connected to the tow truck. And then later on in the garage, we hear Chase singing My Baby She Rocks while he's banging on a piece of metal, like a fender or something, trying to yeah, knock the fence he's, out he's of it. Bang-
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, another humor is seen when the, um, the DJ wakes up because of the banging on the the fender. He's now sober. It's the next morning and he's asking Chase, you know, how did you get me to stay here? And he said, well, basically I sat on you until you fell asleep.
0: Yeah. Once he gets him back there. Yeah. And again, he didn't take him to the police station. He didn't take him to the jail. He took him to the garage and fixed his car and fixed his car because that's what a responsible young man does. And and fixed a pot of coffee for him. Yes. <laughs> I suppose the only thing that he did wrong here was using, you know, the hammer, not a what did he say? Like a what did uh, Smith tell him he should get a a rubber hammer or something?
1: That, yeah, I can't remember the exact word, but
0: um yeah, basically so it wouldn't wake him up in the morning. Exactly. And see kids, this is why you do good things. This is why you be a good person because you might just save a radio DJ who Crashed his car and is drunk. And you might be able to get a recording deal out of the, <laughs> out of the whole thing. He doesn't,
1: well, the, yeah. You know, the, the DJ first, though, asked him, you know, how much do I owe you for all of this? And he's like, well, I don't know, two bucks. <laughs> and the DJ ended up giving him 40. When he said it cost him two bucks, what did you think of that? Two bucks. You know, I'm trying to think in 50s dollars. But it still, it still seemed pretty cheap. It seemed pretty cheap for, you know, basically I brought your car back out of a ditch, towed it all the way back into town, took care of you, got you taken care of. Now I fixed your fenders, your car's drivable again, and then only asked for two bucks.
0: That's, that seemed a little low. (laughs) Well, and he even said, are you sure? Okay, well, maybe three. Maybe three. (laughs) (laughs) For someone who obviously needed money, that was surprising. He wasn't being greedy. It's like every negative quality that you could associate with somebody who's entrepreneurial and trying to make as much money as possible isn't there. It's like, oh, well, okay, three bucks. Well, and his efforts are rewarded because after he leaves, that's when Chase realizes, oh, that's the radio DJ from New York. Yeah, because he hands him his card
1: and he says, when you're in town, look me up. And then he also gives him, you know, we just see him pull out a couple of bills from his wallet and hands that to him, too. And then he leaves. I mean, no sooner he hands that over, he's like out the door in the car and you hear the car driving away. And Chase looks down at the car and sees that he's the, the DJ and then realizes that he also gave him two 20s. So he's a DJ from New York. I said New York. Do they say it's New York? I, they just say the city. I don't think they say New York because I, I thought this happened. This all takes place in Texas. Well, that's and what I was going to say. And there's a scene later, which you don't see, but Chase actually goes into town and meets with the DJ. Yeah. Because he, he does the recording then, and also Chase gets his car painted while they're, he's in town. And I'm assuming the DJ paid for that as well.
0: Well, and he arranges for the DJ to come to play this little hop at somebody's yeah, barn house. dance. Yeah. It's in a barn. Yeah, which I guess you can pull off if you're Chase Winstead. Convince the DJ from town to come to your little city, or I guess it'd be the other way around, from the city to come to your little town. Where all the kids in town are going to go to, and Shug
1: Fisher. Yes. Old Man Harris was there.
0: <laughs> in a different movie, Old Man Harris would be a really creepy character hanging around these kids. But in this one, of course he's there, and the kids all love him. In a different movie, Old Man Harris wouldn't have made it all the way to the end of the film. That's a good point. He wouldn't have had a chance to demand a sobriety test. <laughs>
1: No, he would have been taken out early on by the, the Gila monster. Yeah, he would have been a victim.
0: Now, do they explain why there's a giant Gila monster? They kind of imply it's radiation, right? No, they don't even imply that. You know, I'm kind of is, bringing to the table some things that maybe have happened in a different movie. Maybe I'm mixing them up. but
1: yeah, Which is something when
0: we talk about the
1: other movie that I wanted to bring up. But in this one it's kind of described off that it's just a freak of nature because the sheriff brings out, didn't you read that story in the paper a couple of weeks ago about the kid in Russia that was born two two months later, he's already like 200 pounds and a foot taller than his mom and dad.
0: No, I'll admit I was getting something to drink during that scene and I had to come back because I could have swore. I heard the sheriff say he was born two times as big as his mother or something like that. It's like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Let me back that up a second. What did he just say? (laughs) But basically they were saying an overactive
1: pituitary gland, basically a freak of nature. There's no really any radiation or hand of man involved in it in any way. Which is another thing that's very unusual for a film from – this type of film from this era. Exactly. You would have expected it to be either radiation or there was a mad scientist involved or something.
0: But nope, just a freak of nature. What else is there to say about the movie? I mean it's, it's a typical monster movie written apparently in two days. But still some very unique characters populate the story. There's a there's kind of a really cool story here.
1: Compared to a lot of other films, it's not your your typical monster movie. It's not your typical hot rodder movie. And there's some a couple of really good characters in here.
0: It's unique, and I think it stands out from a lot of these typical late 50s monster movies. I mean, we're getting into the late 50s here, so things are getting a little bit more I don't know if dangerous is the word I'm looking for here, but we're starting to get into the late 50s, early 60s, where things are starting to get a little bit more bloody. Things are getting a little bit more, I don't know, exploitive on some levels. And this movie isn't that at all. This movie is very, I don't want to say family friendly, but it, it could be played for all audiences. It's very oh, yeah. innocent, even though characters are dying. But you don't see any
1: of that. Exactly. It all happens off screen, just outside of the camera view not even really a lot of screaming that you would hear in that type of thing it's just you know you'll hear a car wreck or something you'll see a truck blow up
0: you'll see a train run off its tracks (laughs) (laughs) but yeah overall i mean it's it's a pretty innocent film and it's one that i know i'm going to go back and watch again
1: I know I probably will because I've seen it several times I know that I posted that I was Watching this on Facebook and I had a couple of Friends of mine say are you watching it with the uh, MST3K and I'm like no I'm watching It straight and I got a little bit of uh, Ooh
0: that's that's a tough one And I don't think it's a tough one at all No there are plenty of other movies out there that have appeared On Mystery Science Theater 3000 that Played straight are very Difficult to sit through This is not one of them No it is not Now, we're going to continue this conversation about all things Giant Gila Monster, especially the remake, which was directed by Jim Wynorski a couple of years ago. It was just called Gila, and I say that because I had an exclamation mark at the end. Gila was released. It was a remake of the film. We're going to talk about that in part two of our discussion of the Giant Gila Monster with Scott Morris when we come back here in a couple of days. Now, if you have any feedback or any thoughts or anything that you want to share with us here on the show, you can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call in and leave us a voicemail at five zero three four seven nine five MKR. That's five zero three four seven nine five six five seven. Now that's a Google voicemail line, so there's a three minute limit, but You know, if you've got more to say, call back a second time, or you can even create your own MP3 or WAV file and send that in as well. And we'll use that feedback on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody who has sent me private congratulations for hitting the 100-episode mark. Again, couldn't have done it without you guys and gals listening to the show Thank you so much for your support and your continued listenership here at Monster Kid Radio. You guys and gals are the best podcast listeners in the world. And I hope you come back in a couple of days to hear part two of our conversation about the giant Gila monster and Gila with podcast legend Scott Morris. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song El Paso. That belongs to the band The Beeritz Boys. It appears on their album, Enjoy the Hip, Slick, Ultra Violent, and Super Sexy Surf Sound of. You can find them at the B or follow the link in the show notes to so check that out. It appears on this episode with their permission. Talk to everybody in a couple of days.